An anticipated recount? Could a Trump be on the ballot in North Carolina in 2022? And what to do about cannabis? Time to get caught up on some of what happened in state politics. This is the WUNC Politics Podcast. I'm Jeff Tiberi, commencing our weekly exercise of political discourse right now with Aisha Du of the progressive organization Higher Heights and Becky Gray from the conservative John Locke Foundation. Hey there. Hey there. Hi. As usual, this conversation was recorded Friday morning via Zoom. The race for chief justice of the state Supreme Court is heading to a recount. Results expected next week. Sherry Beasley and Paul Newby are separated by less than 500 votes, this out of some five and a half million cast. Meanwhile, a poll from the conservative group Civitas released this week said that 68 percent of North Carolinians had confidence in the election being held fairly. This despite all the efforts from our president to undermine the process, not to mention all the misinformation. Do you have anything less than total confidence in how our elections are playing out? Aisha? I think that the elections are, are playing out um, as they should. They're going well. Um, there was definitely a lot of voter protection work done uh, to to make sure that everyone had access to the ballot, understanding of the ballot. Um, and then, of course, a lot of work to follow up with those who uh, cast uh, mail-in ballots to just make sure that all the information was correct. And the same is true of provisional ballots. So I know that there's been a lot of work to cure ballots and make sure that every ballot, uh, every every vote was counted. So um, I think that the election process is is uh, going as well as it can. I really agree, Aisha. I think that, you know, it's going as well as it can. I think one thing that we need to remember is, you know, these elections are held and managed and, and executed by volunteers and by humans. And so anytime you have that kind of interaction, there's always, you know, a misplaced vote or a question for things. I have, I, I guess, like right now today, I would say I have cautious confidence, but I'm having more confidence with, with each day that goes by, particularly as we're looking at these votes in the chief justice race. Um, the, the recount, I think, is important. When you have a race that's determined determined by, it could come down to a couple dozen votes. I think that the recount is absolutely appropriate. And then I know the latest that um, the Sherry Beasley folks have asked for is to go back and look at some of the votes that were rejected and perhaps look at those again. And as long as all of the votes are treated equally, I I have no problem with that. And if that's what gives her confidence and that's what gives Justice Newby confidence and gives the rest of us confidence in the election. The important thing, I think, is is that when this is over and when the new leaders are installed, that there's confidence from everybody that this this was a fair election. They were duly elected and they can get on with leading our state, leading our country without a, a shadow of mistrust or doubt. When you say cautious confidence, is there any evidence, is there anything in particular that has moved you from having just uh, uh, total confidence? Like, what is it that gives you cautious confidence? Well, I think actually it would be moving the other way. You know, as we look at this, any any questions of 
miscount ballots or ballots missing or anything like that, as the process has gone forward, I think that there's more confidence in it. You know, there was a question of some ballots that were not counted at a fire station in Robeson County. That was a little bit of a red flag to me, but the State Board of Elections and the officials stepped in. They counted those. They made sure that there were. There was another question of some double-counted ballots, I think in Washington County, um, where they found those, they went back, they double-checked. So with each of those, it gives me more confidence it, um, as we move forward with this. I, I would just agree. Um, I'm glad that we're using the fullest process to uh, make sure that all of the ballots are counted. According to a Thursday report in the New York Times, Laura Trump, daughter-in-law of the president and native of Wilmington, is eyeing a run for U.S. Senate in North Carolina in 2022. Reminder, Republican incumbent Richard Burr plans to retire and this was already expected to be a loaded, competitive, expensive race with plenty of national interest. What was your reaction when you heard the news yesterday that Laura Trump might be jumping into the U.S. Senate race in our state? Becky? Well, I was taken a little aback, to be honest with you, when I first heard that. But she is a North Carolinian. She's a native North Carolinian. She grew up in Wilmington. She went to NC State. She spent a lot of time here during the election as one of President Trump's surrogates. Um, as, as, as long as it's all done in a legal way, and I know that there are some residency requirements and those kind of things for candidates, um, you know, good, good for her. I think what we're seeing even the day after this election is people looking towards 2022 and what that's going to look like. And, you know, we, we heard an announcement this week that state House member Wiley Nickel may be looking at a congressional race. Um, so, you know, here we are off and running again. And I, I think it's great that North Carolina gets a lot of attention. I think that it's going to be a crowded primary on both sides and that this is how democracy works. So as long as she can legally run, uh, she'll be in the running along with a, a lot of folks and we'll see how this turns out. What I will say is that um, obviously um, it, you can't count her out, right? Uh, people made the mistake of counting out uh, our current president in 2016 and here we are. So um, it's going to be a competitive race. It's going to be, I'm sure, a crowded race. I'm sure that it will be a well-funded race. So we, we will see what happens as it continues to unfold. This week, a state government task force recommended decriminalizing marijuana. The Democratic attorney general is on board. However, any shift from criminal to civil penalties would need approval from the Republican-led legislature. Two-part question, should cannabis be decriminalized here? And how likely is it that the General Assembly will move on this in 2021? Aisha? I, I think that uh, it, it's, a, it's a good move. I mean, it's legal in so many states and um, it just it feels uh, it, it's, it's unbalanced that uh, people to go uh, are uh, prosecuted at unfortunately, um, I, I would say really high levels for for a pretty low, low level crime um, in comparison to others. So I think that it's a it's a good uh, process. Can I expect that the Republican legislature will go for it? I'm not sure. Uh, this has been an ongoing conversation in various levels from uh, medical cannabis uh, for, I don't know, the last decade in North Carolina. And so I have heard at different times that Republicans supported it. Last I heard, a lot of Republicans didn't support it. So it'll be interesting to see how it actually plays out. Yeah, Aisha, I, I agree with you. Um, you know, this is one of those things where I think it's a matter of time. 
And at some point, I think North Carolina will follow other states in legalizing marijuana. I don't know that it's going to happen in the next session. But I think it raises a larger, really important point of, you know, Aisha mentioned there are a lot of people that are prosecuted for these very low-level crimes. And I think that we need to look at our whole criminal code and what we do, what different violations carry criminal penalties that have all kinds of implications for people for, you know, that can be for their whole life, whether it's getting a job, whether it's going to college, whether it's getting loans, whether it's buying a home, you know, all different kind of things when you have a criminal record. And we need to really take a long, hard look at our criminal code and some of those low-level crimes that carry pretty substantial criminal penalties. Um, so I think it raises a, a bigger question that, that Aisha alluded to, and that's, you know, what are we prosecuting? Why do we have so many of these low-level crimes? And many of them are associated with small amounts of drugs. They're drug-related. But I think I think the time has come that we really need to look at reforming our criminal code and make sure that we have the, the bad guys are punished and put in prison, but the people that are doing these crimes that really kind of have a hard time justifying public condemnation and the penalties associated with a criminal record. We need to take a, a good look at this. So I think it raises a really important question. A uh, quick follow-up for both of you. Uh, do you have any expectation, this is a speculative question here, but do either of you have any expectation that the governor is going to move to, to commute more sentences. He did very little in the way of commutations in his first four years. But do we have any expectation or any thought as to whether Democratic Governor Roy Cooper is going to to move to to commute uh, or end sentences, uh, the prison terms early for for individuals who are incarcerated on on low level drug crimes? Do either of you have a thought on that? The only thing that I would say is I, I don't know and I have no idea what the governor will do. I wonder if maybe some of that was not related to his reelection campaign and perhaps some hesitancy to be really careful about the way that he did that perhaps being accused of being soft on crime or letting criminals out on the streets, that he might be attacked by his opponent during this campaign. So if we were going to see more of that, and Jeff, I think you're right, he has done much less of com- computing those um, those penalties, those crimes, than other governors have if we won't see more of that in his second and last term as governor. I, I will say that um, I've, I've not heard uh, about his plans to do more, but I think that along the lines of the continuing conversation around criminal justice reform and what it looks like. I mean, we've even changed just with COVID. There, there, you know, there's an idea that you don't need to hold people as long, that you need to make sure that they're, um, that there are some type of freedoms and and, uh, different assessment. And I don't know that public safety has been sacrificed because of that, right? So I think as we continue the conversation and continue to reevaluate criminal justice, um, it will will, uh, affect what the governor does and and what happens um, hopefully with the legislature. Uh, Finally, on something of a non-political, maybe it will be a political note, but something perhaps on a non-political note, heading into a holiday week, one in which Many more Americans are going to be without large family gatherings. Some will uh, be with large family gatherings, but the CDC recommendations, the recommendations of the public health officials here, uh, again, is to really limit those those mass gatherings, those uh, uh, groups of people of of more than 10 from various households. Uh, Heading into this long holiday week, uh, 
fewer families are going to be together. Uh, but I wanted to talk thankfulness, if only for a moment. Uh, in this long, disheartening year, what is one thing that you are appreciative for? Well, number one, I'm glad this election is over or almost over. I think it's time to, and I say that sort of kidding, but, you know, I think it's time just to put a lot of the polarization and the, the stresses that this election has put on all of us behind us. So I'm thankful for that. The other thing is... I, I am thankful for the time with my family, and I think that our lifestyles have slowed down considerably with the restrictions, the suggestions, the advice of the the pandemic. And so, I'm I, I am very thankful for that. I'm I'm thankful that for this election to um, almost be over, also. Um, and um, I I will have to say that. Um, we didn't win or lose everything. Uh, but I think what I'm excited about with this election is that we get to continue the conversation. The conversation needs to continue. And um, I agree. I feel like hopefully we get to start real work to move out of this extreme polarization and really to get back and have conversations with our friends and our families um, about how we move forward uh, together in a unified way. And uh, I'm I'm grateful to be here. Um, there, there are so many people who we've lost this year. And so I'm grateful to have uh, my health and have my family. And although it may be a Zoom Thanksgiving, it'll be better than an ICU Christmas. So hopefully, uh, prayerfully, we will, we will all make it to the end of the year safe and well. Aisha, I just would add to that, too, that, you know, I, I absolutely agree with you. More conversations, more reasonable conversations. And so I, I think I would be remiss, Jeff, if I didn't say I'm thankful for you and I'm thankful for WNC and the opportunity that, that you give people like me and Aisha to talk about things, but also for, for the audience and for the people that listen to this. And we'll do it again in two weeks because next week uh, we will be at home and on vacation. Becky Gray is Senior Vice President at the John Locke Foundation. Aisha Du is Political Director at Higher Heights. Enjoy your weekends. Happy Thanksgiving. Thanks, y'all. Each Friday, we gather on your radio, 450, matter of fact, during All Things Considered on WUNC. And of course, we'll uh, visit your podcast feeds almost every Friday for a review of state political news. That won't be the case next Friday. We'll uh, take it off. Hopefully, you'll take it off uh, as well. We'll be back in a couple of weeks, and we'll also have some other uh, long-form podcast offerings for you in the weeks ahead. Next week, planning to sit down, well, virtually, of course, uh, and have a conversation with longtime Charlotte Observer reporter Jim Morrill. Unfortunately, sadly, it's a melancholy moment. He uh, He's retiring at the end of the year, so we'll try to get some uh, favorites from Jim during his several decades covering North Carolina politics. Until then, I'm... Jeff Tabiri for Aisha and Becky, wishing you a happy and healthy and safe stay-at-home Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you soon.